Hey there guys, welcome to another episode of Flying Chariots The Rise. I am your host Daniel and tonight I'm with Andrew Christie from the podcast Sasquatchers. Andrew is fascinated by the paranormal and mysterious. And like many others, Andrew grew up with the TV show X-Files. The mysterious atmosphere and fascinating topics have never let go of him ever since. These science fiction scenarios gave him a fear of being abducted by aliens, an idea that both intrigued and frightened him at the same time. Years later, Andrew himself had an intense UFO sighting that still puzzles him to this day. His passion and enthusiasm for the unexplainable has led him to launch his own podcast called Sasquatchers. In his project, amongst other things, he wants to talk to like-minded people whose lives are also shaped by mysterious events. And guys, right after listening to this episode, follow the links in the description and subscribe to Sasquatchers on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcast, Spreaker or iHeart. And while you're at it, why don't you take a look at the Sasquatchers Paranormal Podcast Facebook group. But don't forget to show some love on here too, guys. If you like what we do, please leave a like, a nice comment or a subscription. Andrew, thank you for being my guest tonight. I recently came across your podcast and found it very interesting, especially the first episode where you share your story. I found it very interesting, mainly because I can yeah, partly identify with it. I've also experienced things that I find difficult to explain, but more on that later, maybe. And if you don't mind, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience and tell us what yeah, what, what drives you to do the things you do? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and first, let me thank you for reaching out. Uh, I was kind of blown away by it, if you want me to be honest. Um, it's always really cool to see the things that you work on are expanding and reaching other parts of the globe. So it was a, a cool experience to, to hear from you. Uh, but my name is Andrew, and I created and produce, host uh, the podcast Sasquatchers, Paranormal Podcast. I had to add the Paranormal Podcast part to it because everybody got confused by the name. But essentially, you know, it started out as a passion project that was birthed by a failed attempt at making an Art Bell documentary. And of course, I'm sure a lot of your listeners know Art. He was a broadcast legend who really put the paranormal on the map as far as broadcasting goes. And so I just kind of feel like I'm trying to carry the torch a little bit for art and at coast to coast which is the show that he had created back in the late 80s early 90s i mean it still exists today and there's a lot of of really quality hosts that still participate but 
everybody kind of agrees that, you know, this kind of begins and ends with art. And there's a lot of podcasters out there who are, who are really putting out good work. And I think it's important that even though I agree art was such a, an influence that it, it's time for us to carry the torch and it's time for other people. I mean, even such as yourself to kind of get the flowers that everybody deserves for the amount of just incredible amount of work that goes into this stuff. Art Bell, man, I love Art Bell. And like I told you before we hit the record button, I just recently came across Art Bell like weeks, a few weeks ago, to be honest. And I immediately was drawn in to his, his voice and the way he asked questions and approached things. That was very interesting. And the whole atmosphere of his show, man, it's it's awesome. And um, I... Never had the chance to listen to him on the radio since I am from Germany, as you know. And I, yeah, I found him on YouTube, like I said, by accident. And since that that day, I'm, yeah, listening to the old episodes and it's, yeah, it's awesome. But what do you know about Art Bell? You're, you're a big fan of, of him and uh, I know he died, man. And I think he died of uh, medication, wrong medication, too much pills. I don't yeah, know what, yeah. what happened, but... Um, That's one of the things with with Art Bell. Um, he had terrible, terrible back pain. Like he had a pretty serious condition, and that was actually something that he talked about, you know, at length, endlessly over the course of his career. A lot of his uh, advertising, even on the show, is based off of that. And I think so. What happened was, as far as you know, his end of life scenario, he was just a just a bad case of taking too much of the wrong medication or something to try to cope with the back pain but he um is a very very charismatic person but also a very mysterious person he's very um he's an enigma so to speak you know a lot of people who knew him personally don't even know everything there was to know about art and that was something that when I was trying to do this documentary that I learned because you know I, I won't you know out of respect you know, name names or anything but I spoke to some of his children and you know even just the difference of opinion about the man from his children's perspective it was it was a wild thing to to hear and so it's, it's really important for you know fans, especially you know, people who still to this day listen, to allow that enigma to still exist. And I'm actually kind of glad in that regard that the that the project fell apart because you know it's it's a case of maybe learning too much about your hero, and you know then that perspective is changed forever. So. I'm I'm kind of grateful that 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 project stopped because I'm still able to look at the art that I know versus the art that I may have discovered if that makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting thoughts. Yeah, he seemed like a very interesting guy, very mysterious guy. Yeah, I had the same impression. Interesting. Man. Yeah, and I oh, sorry. No, go on. <laughs> I was, yeah, I was just going to say like 
none of us are sitting here right now if it wasn't for art. So that's something that I, I really like to reiterate. And as far as podcasts go, I think over the last couple of years, it's gotten a lot better. But in the wake of, of art's passing, like, I think it, it kind of brought a dark age on some of the things that we're doing now. You know, as a listener back then, it seemed like all of the shows kind of stagnated a little bit. And a lot of them don't even exist anymore. But for really the longest time, it's really just been the last podcast on the left and everybody else. And so I use that opportunity of the of the documentary kind of falling apart as a way to create my show because I wanted to create a show that I would want to listen to. I, I'll endlessly listen to old Art Bell shows, but it comes to a point when, you know, how many times can I actually listen to the episode about Mel's Hole or Madman Markham, the time traveler? You know, I've listened to those 20, 30 times, maybe even more than that. And, you know, they're obviously entertaining, but there are more stories to be told. And I just felt like at the time, those stories weren't being told. And what's been really interesting for me and, you know, with the work that I'm doing with Sasquatchers is I've found, and I, I referred to it earlier as like this freshman class of podcasts that are really putting a lot of work and effort into kind of creating that atmosphere. And, you know, I discovered one and I know you talked to Tom, but there's the lost frequency podcast and Ryan Tom are guys that, man, if I discovered that show two weeks sooner, I might not even create Sasquatchers because those guys are putting out a product that is so good and so precisely what I wanted to accomplish that I might have just been content with finding this show and listening to it as they went. But uh, as it is, they're putting out some incredible content just weekly. And because of my own show, I've been able to connect with them and they are super cool guys and the stuff that they're addressing on a weekly basis is just so vastly different than the episode that they put out before and the content is so good and as awesome as they are that's not exclusive just to them so i really am proud of the people that i've come in contact with through this podcast because that torch that art lit so brightly is being carried masterfully by a lot of people. I mean, and yourself included. Oh, oh thank you. And <laughs> thank you. And you're absolutely right. Um, the Last Frequency podcast is very good. I listen to these guys too. Uh, shout out to these guys. Um, you... Uh, and what I love uh, about our Bells show was uh, is that it's uh, a radio show actually, and that uh, not only a, a internet uh, thing on YouTube or so, because we don't have that here in Germany. We don't have stuff like that in Germany. You 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 will not uh, you will not find a, a show that talks about the paranormal UFOs and stuff like that here in Germany. It's so sad, man. 
And I love listening to radio. I'm a big radio guy. I love radios. I I listening. I listen to shortwave radio and all these different stations from all over the world. And it's just very interesting. And I yeah, I'm a radio guy, and I love that it's a radio show. I would, I would love to have something like that here in Germany. But unfortunately, it's not yeah, that's the case. Super unfortunate. Uh, that's honestly surprising to hear too. Yeah. No. No. Germany is different, man. <laughs> and another thing uh, one can hear if uh, we listen to your first episode, your podcast, is that you, yeah, that's, for you it started out with an uh, interesting show that I also watched, X-Files. Man, I love the X-Files, man. I'm born in the 80s. I'm, I'm born 1980, um, to be exact. And yeah, when I was... A young boy. I also watched the X-Files, man. But back then, the experience was somewhat different. Back then, to me, it was science fiction, of course. And now we're watching these shows a little bit uh, different. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, you see a lot of the themes and stuff mm -hmm. are kind of unfolding in front of us. And not only that, but as as you grow and you learn and you kind of understand that a lot of what they had put on that show was actually based on reality, so to speak, you know, um, different case files and things of that nature were examined and um, dramatized on that show. So it is kind of cool to see it from an adult lens, especially because While I was also born in the 80s, I only spent about a year and a half in the 80s. Uh, I was born in the late 80s, and so I was a little bit younger when The X-Files was in its first run. So one of the things that always just struck a chord with me in that beginning intro when that song hits, and then you see that black and white photograph of the UFO. And as young as I was, it just it struck a chord and you have a sense of this fascination that comes along with it. The sense of wonder, uh, fear, anxiety. Um, it created a sense of, of worry to me that I was going to be abducted by aliens. And I did talk about that in the first episode of our show, which I honestly meant to be 15 minutes long. It was supposed to be an introduction episode. It was going to be a short and I hit record. And the next thing I know, I went an hour and like 12 minutes or something just talking. And I didn't think I was capable of doing something like that. But this stuff becomes very therapeutic. Um, I've noticed not just for myself, but for the people that I've spoken with that it's, it's a very strong therapy session to sit here with a microphone and a computer and to just talk about this stuff. And I'm, I'm a person who, I mean, some would argue I've, I had a little more trauma than most kids and that could have played a role in it. I'm not a psychologist. Uh, I, I think when I, speak to people in that field, I befuddle psychologists, but I don't tend to believe that that anxiety that I had about being abducted was the result of some unknown trauma that I had as a child. 
And that's something that I'm, I'm working through now that I've been doing a lot more research with our show and having more conversations every single week with people. I'm just taking information in at a higher rate than I ever did before. And it's kind of allowed me a new perspective on that. And I mean, I'm not going to say, you know, I was abducted by aliens, but I'm open to the thought of having some regression therapy done. Um, and that's not something that I even considered was a thought in my head, you know, prior to this year, but just everyone that I've spoken with has, has really told me that the intensity of the anxiety that I had and the frequency, you know, every single night I'm this kid in bed and I literally at one point had to put a lamp, like a full actual lamp up above my head and turn it on at night just so that I could, I could sleep. And it's not like it was, wasn't this fear of the dark or fear of the unknown. I was just very thoroughly convinced that the, the light above my head, I would, with that there, I would notice any like being standing over top of me. And, you know, at the time I had no, no rational explanation or reasoning to think that way. And you could definitely say like, well, this kid's just seen one too many movies. I, I definitely grew up with horror. One of the first, you know, toys that I had as a child, and it's worth a lot of money now. I actually always kick myself for not having it is it was a blue yo-yo with Freddy Krueger on it. And, you know, A Nightmare on Elm Street is one of the first movies that I can remember seeing in a movie theater. It was like part five. It was the 3D one. And I actually texted my cousin recently to make sure that that memory wasn't false because it was so long. I was like two and a half, three years old when that movie came out. But I just have this very vivid memory of being in the theater watching it. And, you know, obviously with the X-Files and everything else i was surrounded with this horror and sci-fi media a lot but i just think it, i think that there was something more to it and it wasn't until you know much later in life that i came to that conclusion because i was resound to the idea that i was a child with anxiety that may or may not have been afraid of the dark and i think a lot of people are are happy with that explanation, but I just never was. And it, I don't know if it was when I actually had a UFO experience, you know, a few years ago that I started to, you know, look deeper into that. But yeah, I just don't think it was just an X-Files episode that, you know, caused that, that fear, but uh, yeah, much later in life. Yeah, the, it was 2017. It was July 4th. And I'll never forget it. And right off the bat, when I say July 4th, you know, what do you think? Um, in America, we have the 4th of July. It's fireworks. It's Independence Day. It's just, you know, our celebration for, you know, winning the war against England. And so there's a lot of explosions in the sky. There's a lot of lights in the sky. There's 
there's a lot going on pretty much everywhere. And not just that day, but it's, it's a weekly celebration at this point. You are you know, routinely woken up one or two weeks prior or before the fourth to fireworks. And, you know, it's, it's a heck of a time when you have scared dogs and newborn babies and whatnot. But if you're not trying to get up at work at five o'clock in the morning, it's not that annoying, but I'm digressing a little bit about uh, the American culture. <laughs> uh, but so I'm at this party and I'm technically at work at the time. I was essentially what I, I'm not sure if you have this in, in Germany, but there's a program called uh, big brothers and sisters. And they um, it's essentially like a, you're looking after younger people that you're not related to. You're a guide to them essentially to help them grow. And some of them are troubled. Some of them have sketch, you know, sketchy pasts or, you know, whatever, but that's kind of what I was doing. I wasn't exactly working for that company, but it was the same, same premise. I was, I was in some ways, even a, you know, a caretaker or, you know, a big brother. And I have my client with me and he was a teenager and we're at this party and, you know, it's a bonfire and of course there's fireworks and everything else that goes with it. And it gets a little late and it's time to take him back. And this was in the town that he lived in, which is actually where I live now. And we're walking down the street and I see this light and I've come to identify it as a basically what's called an orb UFO where there's a round ball of light and it just very slowly and casually almost just kind of starts floating up into the sky and it it's floating and it comes up over the tree line and I catch it and I'm like, oh, dude, somebody's setting off fireworks. Let's stand here and check this out. You know, um, based on that description, you know, there's a firework called a Chinese lantern that kind of does something similar to that. You know, it real slowly kind of goes up like that. And then eventually, you know, pops and the circumstance behind a firework occurs. But this didn't happen. And I would say the size of it was significantly bigger than anything like that as well. So it just kind of floats in the sky. And I was, I was befuddled. I was was so confused by it. And we're just both standing there staring at it. And we're trying to figure out when is the boom? When is this going to explode? And it just never does. And we're just watching and we're watching. And at this point, I'm starting to think in the back of my mind, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's not what it was. Maybe it's somebody's playing with a drone or something. And pretty much no sooner than I have that thought, it, I guess, breaks away into three separate orbs of light. And so there's the center light, and then there's one on either side of it. And so now there's three of these orbs of light and things just got a little more interesting because now this is clearly not a firework 
And then they start to move. And I think in that first episode of Sasquatchers, when I described this, I called, I referred to it as ballet because it started to, they started to almost dance like around with each other. And eventually they're doing what, what I would say is a figure eight pattern, but it doesn't stick to that. You know, um, I think some skeptics would say that this could have been some kind of light show and that it was on this figure eight and everybody's entitled to their opinion. And I just had a skeptic on our show last week and he was a fantastic guy. I really enjoyed talking to him, but it's so easy to say something like that, having not been there to see it, to not witness something firsthand um, gives you that ability to write it off and. I can say with certainty this was not a light show and these were not drones. And I can get into that further in a second because that's actually part of the story. But these lights are just going and going. And at that point, my mouth just kind of slowly is a gape. And I'm not sitting there like aliens, aliens, aliens. Not like I don't think I ever was, but I started to understand that I was witnessing something special something very cool and unique and i was grateful that i got to see it and i know a lot of people react differently and i know that child that i used to be who was terrified of being abducted by aliens would have been terrified my children probably would be terrified to see that but i wasn't and I talked about this last night with my co-host and it just filled me with not just a sense of wonder, but encouragement, excitement. It was a happiness that, you know, you really only feel a couple of times in your life. Um, you know, I said, you know, when I married my wife, you know, I had that sense of happiness, just like this warm sensation completely within the birth of my children, you know, like the happiness that you don't understand until it's happening right in front of you, that this life you created is there in front of you and you have tears running down your eyes because of it. That same feeling occurred while I'm watching these lights. And that's an emotional resonance that doesn't happen from a light show that doesn't happen from misidentifying a, a drone and so this this teenager that i'm looking after at the time he's the opposite of that he's he's kind of sketched he's worried he's i wouldn't say he was frightened or scared but he was put off by it he was not having the same experience that i was having so while we maintained you know contact with it and I didn't look away from this ever. We continued to walk. We walked a couple of more blocks. We got to his house. He had a roommate. I had a coworker. And we get there. And all this time, these lights are still just cascading across the sky. You know, by this time, it's, it's less uh, articulate. It's, it's no longer that figure eight. And they're just kind of zooming around, doing whatever. And I have this, you know, old generation crappy phone at the time so we get back to our my workplace 
and I run inside and my, my coworkers sitting there and the other clients sitting there. And I'm like, what kind of phone do you have? And can I have it right now? Because there's something happening outside. Like, I got to show you this, this, can we please use a better phone than mine to get a picture of this or a video? And she looks at him, the other client, and she says, it's back. So they were out, they had an outing and she was, you know, she took them to some store or something. And on the way back, they encountered it. And, you know, while they were driving, they saw it flying over the opposite end of this tree line where we were now seeing it. So they had seen it. They came out and just four of us stood there in the darkness late on the 4th of July watching, watching these lights. And at that point, you know, I'm not crazy. I have more than just one person here who's saying that they're seeing what I'm seeing. But four of us are just watching them. And, you know, 20 more minutes go by. And finally, the lights kind of, they stop being so erratic. And they, they come back together. And they form one orb again. And after that, it just kind of dissipates. And then what little light was left almost, you know, shot off. So there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on when it stopped that still confuse me to this day because it's crazy that i can tell you with such great like great detail everything that i saw up until the end actually occurred now like sometimes i can see it almost blinking and fluttering away and then other times, you know, I, I remember it like shooting off, like it took off at the speed of light or something. And because it did that, it appeared to go away at the blink of an eye. So that's the only part that I'm really any bit fuzzy on. And I looked at my, at my clients and my coworker and we were stunned and we all agreed that we saw what we saw. And they went in the house and I think tried to forget it. And I just sat there outside and, you know, it wasn't until midnight when I was leaving to go home that I even, you know, moved from the spot that I was in. And I just looked up at the sky and wanted it to come back. And when I went home that night, I took some detours so that I could go and, and drive around the area where I had seen this occur. And I wanted to see if it would come back and, and it never came back. So that, that's my experience uh, with, with seeing UFOs. I did follow up. Um, I'm not sure. Do you have MUFON where you're at? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I reached out to MUFON and some MUFON researchers are more thorough than others. And, you know, sometimes they get a bad rap. And I think that's, that's uh, unfortunate because everyone from MUFON that I've spoken to is very thorough and they follow up with all of the resources that they have. So I had reached out and the investigator from MUFON 
that I dealt with, you know, provided documentation that there's no licensed drone activity happening and that the the size of this event would require a drone operator to be licensed and that flight if they were doing it had would have would had have to been recorded and documented so there was no i guess the term that i have to say there was no legal drone operating at the time and there were no military operations happening that they had on record and so you know drones i can write those off i i can take those off the list as far as i'm concerned as the witness and so there's no helicopters there's no you know um military operations and it's documented recorded an investigator provided that information to me so what that leaves me with is something i saw something i can't say for certain that i saw a spacecraft i can't say for certain that i saw an alien being operating those lights what I can say is I saw an unidentified flying object that turned into three objects that then started to cascade around the sky for almost an hour's time and then returned to one object and essentially obliterate itself. <laughs> and that, to me, provided a unique sense of happiness that... Like I said, I've only experienced a few other times and it's something that I'm still chasing. It was, you know, incredibly fascinating to see. And um, you talked about him off of, you know, before we recorded, started recording, uh, Preston Dennett was a guest of mine. And Preston, again, everything that I do always comes back to Art Bell, but I learned of Preston through conversations that he had with Art. I think he was on Art Bell's show three or four times. And something else very unique and cool that I, that I can talk about, um, some would say related, uh, some say unrelated, is out-of-body experiences. And Preston talks about those as well. Uh, but I actually had one. And not at that moment, but, you know, once I started to uh, really hone in on a lot of this high strangeness stuff, but Preston talked to me and on my show validated what I saw. He said that, you know, it's actually, it's always jarring for people to hear, but there's a lot of activity like this happening on the 4th of July. And he said that it is you know equal parts that they're interested in what's going on and you can see these fireworks from where they're at and and there's a lot of explosions and fire in the sky and that draws their attention and then also they want to participate in it so there there was some good conversation with a with an expert in the field who has been doing this research since before I was born and <laughs> I'm not exactly a spring chicken, as they say. I'm, 
you know, I'm in my mid thirties. So that's a lot of experience that this man has for him to, to validate me in that sense was special to me because every time I tell that story, it's prefaced with, look, I get it. This happened on the 4th of July and I know what you're thinking, but this happened. And so, yeah, that's, that's my experience. Um, it's not the only experience that I have with anything paranormal, but it was the most impactful and it created this desire to, to have it occur again. And it's funny. There's a lot of media right now that's focusing on cults and there's documentaries on every streaming service right now, you know, this cult, that cult, and all of these cults offer these people this idea that something is going to come from the stars, you know, be it, you know, a god or aliens or just some celestial being is usually used with a lot of these cults to attract people and gain followers. And these, these followers of these cults are looking for that sense of joy that I legitimately got to occur. So even by proxy of this situation, I find myself, um, empathetic towards these these cult victims in a way that I think most people aren't because I got to experience something that they are dedicating their lives to at just at ha- just to hopefully fulfill a prophecy or something <laughs> that can then allow them to have that transcendence and that The reason I bring that up is literally just because right now that's a really big thing. For a while, it was true crime and, you know, stories of murder on every single streaming service. And for whatever reason, the last couple of months, this this like occult obsession has been taking over, at least here in the States. And so it was a topic of discussion. And I kind of realized that, that they are chasing that experience that I was lucky enough to have. It, man, first of all, it's an amazing story of a cool sighting. And I never knew that Preston was an Art Bell show. Man, I love Preston now even more. You know, <laughs> we both yeah. uh, like Preston a lot and we like Preston's work a lot. And now I, I love him even more. Preston, shout out. Awesome. Um, yeah, we talked about orbs and why I love your story so much is I actually know about about two guys here in Germany that told me the exact same thing that you told me right here. They saw a orb in the sky and it separated and it was uh, with the one guy it was it separated was two objects but the other guy he told me it separated into three objects and they moved around for a pretty long time and became one again and swooshed up in the sky. So very similar to your story and that's crazy how how stories match, man. No matter where you are and no matter where you're from, 
these stories are very alike. Same with abductions. And a few years back, I wasn't interested too much in abductions. I thought, abductions, I don't know about that, man. People telling the craziest stories about abduction. I was like, I'm not, no, I'm not buying that. But then I found Preston Dennett. And then I talked to Preston Dennett. And then I watched a lot of his videos. And then I, yeah, I dove deeper into abductions and read books about abductions and actually listened to abductions or abductees. And they told me stories that matched. Stories from, I don't know, the 70s, 80s, 90s. And then I thought there must be something to it, man. Something, there, this can't just be a, a dream or something or a hallucination. Something, right. something is going on. Something is fishy. And from a skeptic point of view, I think something that we run into a lot, I, I've coined it the, the dragon problem. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, we go back hundreds, even thousands of years. And there are people in Europe who have stories and drawings of dragons flying in the sky. And on the other side of the world, there are people who have never made contact with these, you know, these civilizations who have stories of dragons flying in the sky. You know, their ideology is different, but you know, everybody had dragons and obviously there's literally no actual proof that a dragon existed. So what we have now are philosophers in the science world who will, will, will just degrade it to, well, humans just aren't that creative. You know, these people imagine something and these people on the other side of the globe imagine the same thing at the same time. And that could be true, most likely is true. But that doesn't mean that something happening in Germany right now that is paranormal and something that is happening in Hawaii at that same time that is also paranormal are the result of people misunderstanding. There are too many cases, there are too many witnesses, uh, too many experiencers to just write it off. And that's something that I wasn't quite as skeptical. I don't think I needed as much convincing when I've you know, been having these conversations. But to an extent, mental illness is a thing and we can't write that off. You know, some people, some people are mentally ill and I've, I'm sidetracking myself just a little, but I've spoken to exorcists, demonologists. You know, we have people from all walks of the paranormal on our show. And the first thing that an exorcist does before actually doing an exorcism is they determine if that person is actually suffering or if it's a mental illness. And it's a very rigorous um investigation and once it's determined that the 
that they are not mentally ill, then there is a problem and they go in and, and they fix it. And I think that same ideology does need to be applied to everything else that, that we talk about. You know, does this person have a history of mental illness? Okay, maybe they do. So we, not, it's not that we're taking what they're saying with a grain of salt, we're just adding that extra layer of caution so that, not that we're duped, but so that that person can be treated with respect and the benefit of the doubt. Because just because a person is mentally ill also doesn't mean that they're not capable of being contacted by a, a higher being or what we see as extraterrestrials, aliens, you know, demons, any anything of that nature. So I really like to take everybody for their word until I find a reason not to, if that makes sense. When, you know, when I'm hearing these stories and doing my own investigations, I treat everybody the same. And I try to ignore the big dragon elephant in the room that, you know, so many people will use to write other people off with. And I think that's really important because I think what we do here with the paranormal and I, I found it's very cutthroat and I don't know if it's because there's certain tiers to what we do. You have your TV stars, these para celebrities, these people who go to conventions and have turned this into a living and absolutely nothing wrong with that. Trust me, you're going to see Sasquatchers at conventions starting next year. Uh, there's nothing wrong with selling T-shirts and, and turning your passion into something that can pay the bills. If Sasquatchers can pay my bills so I can focus only on Sasquatchers, you better bet I'm going to do it. So I don't hold that part of the uh, paracelebs to any negativity, but the people who are climbing to that are very, very cutthroat. And it's something that I, I was almost caught off guard by, you know, every day there's, you know, a, a new group who is attacking another group because they don't like their methods or, you know, this person only wants to be on TV. And, you know, I mean, we, we say like, I mean, Zach Baggins, for instance, you know, he has, there's a whole, group of people who used to work for him who have created their own path by dogging on the guy so it goes i mean he's probably at this point like the most famous para celebrity um so it goes all the way up to him and a lot gets lost in translation when the investigators are at odds with each other and that's kind of my goal sasquatchers our paranormal podcast, everyone that I talk to, all of our counterparts, our contemporaries, that freshman class that I talked about, researchers, other podcasters like yourself. I welcome every one of you and I want to hear the stories and I want to talk to experiencers and I want to hear every single detail the way they remember it. And I don't want to be... Um, 
cornered by what conventional science has to say. And that doesn't make me a science denier. I'm actually quite the opposite. I am extremely scientific in my approach. But when you're dealing with, it's called the paranormal for a reason. It's not normal. And until we have the evidence that can, you know, lay the scientific foundation, we have to allow ourselves the ability to experiment. And that's what really the scientific method is all about. A lot of skeptics, Neil deGrasse Tyson himself, you'll hear every other sentence in his mouth, uh, the scientific method, the scientific method. Ultimately, what the scientific method is, is research, published, and then disputed. So it's important for the research that we do to be allowed to occur and not written off as woo-woo, which is a term that I've, I've learned recently with, uh, that's, you know, with my investigations and my conversations. Is I've, I heard one person use it. And then now it's everywhere. It's showing up in Facebook groups. And, and so, like, I think it's okay to investigate the woo-woo, so to speak. Of course, it's okay to investigate the woo-woo. But, um, yeah, I'm the same. I love to hear the stories. People contact me. Tell me your stories. I would love to hear your stories, no matter how crazy they sound. Not too long ago, um, my podcast colleague Dustin and I, we had uh, somebody on claims to be, yeah, a uh, reptilian. Has a reptilian mind and his the reptilian uh, race are his brothers. I don't know. I don't know what to think about stories like that. I don't. I do not have to believe these stories for myself, but I, um, I think it's interesting to listen to, and and uh, I think these people need a platform to tell their stories or to connect with others who have the same experience. Because I don't know if it's true or not. Maybe yeah, yeah. I'm making fun of this guy, but maybe he's right. I don't know. Everything is yeah. possible in this world. Everything is possible. Since you mentioned exorcism and demons not too long ago i talked to this very interesting guy and you should get you should get him on your show his name is jack chavez and he told me about something that is called an astral parasite i think he called it an astral parasite it's not his idea he saw it in a book or so or heard it from someone uh, he's very interested in and he called it the astral parasite and it's something Yes, some bad energies and bad juju that clings on on people and it feeds off your negativity and your negative thoughts and yeah. And sometimes he said this mental ill people or people in uh mental hospitals, I don't know, call it whatever you want, are um Yeah, they have something like a astral parasite who feeds beasts on them on their on their energy and make them ill. I don't know, it sounds crazy man, but why not? Could be possible. Every, like I said everything is possible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh that uh I can't remember what number of the episode was, but we had a psychic on our show and uh her name was Dr. Rita Luis. And she talked about that very thing. Um, she, you know, discussed that there are, uh, don't quote me, 
this isn't my area of expertise, but we have like seven chakras in our auric field. And uh, those, those parasites are then able to attach. And depending on how negative you are as a person, though that auric field and the chakras are, are maybe weaker than some other people's. So it's easier for those like astral parasites to then attach to your auric, your auric field. And the worse you are, you are, are like the worse off you are mentally, uh, the weaker those fields are and the easier it is for them to get through the seven layers. And then, it, and it's no longer an infestation, but it becomes a full on possession by the, that entity. So that's, that's something that I've even heard speaking to my own guests. And I mean, it's, it's cool to learn these things and to hear these ideologies and, you know, you're never going to 100% agree with what you're hearing. And specifically with that reptilian person, it could be even unless it's a 100% fabricated hoax for entertainment, it could be completely uh, just happening to them in mentally it's happening to them and even if it's not the case even if that not that person is not actually reptilian he could find himself in a headspace where he believes that so even if it's not true it's still true to him and so to hear that person's story and allow them that platform to speak and maybe get something off of their chest that you know i mean who knows i don't want to get like crazy political or anything but um there there's a lot of of violence out in in the world right now and it's been building and building and building and maybe that conversation that that person has with you about his feelings that he is a lizard person that he's reptilian is the conversation that guy needed to have not to go to the store with his you know, with his oh. ak-47 gotcha. you know so I, I really think that what we're doing, even if we fall into that realm of unbelievability, it's, it's still helpful to some people. Definitely. You're absolutely right. I think the same. And sometimes you talk to people and you, and you really don't know, after the episode has ended, you really don't know what to make of the story. I talked to Calvin Parker from the Pascagoula case. Unfortunately, he passed away already. I'm sure you're familiar with that case. Very interesting case, the Pascagoula River uh, UFO abduction case. And man, Calvin Parker, I before uh, before I had the chance to talk to him, of course, I, I knew the story and I knew the book. And I thought, man, he's talking about a female alien with a very long middle finger and she shoved the finger down his throat and he was like choking and spitting blood. And he talked about these robot-like aliens that escorted him into and out of this craft. And when you just, when you hear the story for the first time and you just uh, find it on the internet for the first time, you think, and guy's a nutcase. But then I talked to him in person or on Zoom and he told me his story and he was the most humble 
an honest guy in the world and he looked at me and um told his story and back then he already um had cancer and he had chemotherapy and his tongue was swollen so I was very thankful that he took the time to talk to me for an hour because it was very um hard for him to talk but he told me his story and I, th I thought this man is at the, the end of his life why should he give me bullshit why right. why should he give me he knows he, probably he knew back then he probably knew he's he's dying and um yeah why I always say when you're on your deathbed, I think most of us would tell the truth on the deathbed because you never know what's next. Is there something as a, I don't know, a judgment day or or, 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 or God is judging you for your sins and you get sent to hell or to heaven, I don't know, based on how honest you, you were and, and what you did. I think... Not many people would lie on the deathbed. Uh, yeah, no. And it, of course, there's the deathbed confession, literally the term that's literally based on that, that idea. And, you know, on the opposite side of that, you know, we will take those deathbed confessions for facts just because it came from somebody who said it while they were dying. Uh, you know, hoaxers, and for instance, people take uh, credit for something because they're dying and uh we just we take that as fact and that happens a lot with what we do and i that's one thing that i've really been curious about is the deathbed confession and with what we do um uh, how much of that can be really taken at at heart at face value or taken to heart um it, it i just could that then be the hoax? And it's like the ultimate hoax because you're on your way out and there's not going to be any way to refute it, so to speak. Uh, so I think depending on what they're saying, you know, that really does mean a lot. You know, if a person, he, he's that sick, he had, like you said, there's no reason to BS you at all. And, you know, somebody would, probably not take that as seriously for whatever reason as if he was in that same condition and telling you that he lied about it yeah but um let's change the topic for a second and uh, before we get <laughs> get last in, in this topic i want to talk about so much more um you're into cryptids a lot and you're into bigfoot a lot and since we talked about orbs before I want to know what your opinion is on orbs and Bigfoots, because I heard stories about Bigfoots and orbs at the same time. So orbs appear and then a Bigfoot appears and then these orbs disappear and Bigfoot is gone to stuff like that. Have you heard about stuff like that? And do you know stories about that? Uh, I That's something that I've kind of been learning as I go. Um, with Sasquatchers, I've gotten to a point now where every week I'm having a Sasquatch expert. And, you know, the funny thing about Sasquatch experts is they kind of all differ in opinion from each other, at least in the regard you have the flesh and blooders who, you know, are out purely scientifically trying to prove that you have a gigantopithecus. 
versus the you know the the woo woos who are out and um, now there's portals involved or orbs and you know where why is there a footprint and then it leads to nothing um, so unfortunately I've never experienced a Bigfoot this all comes from my desire to be out there and experience and it seems like people who are are willing to allow themselves to be open to this sort of stuff um, I was I was not one of those people I was more of the crypto the gigantopithecus kind of people until until I started having these conversations if you're not open to it uh, I don't think those stories really resonate and like I said there's even within the Bigfoot community there's that uh, disconnect with each other where everybody's trying to prove the other person wrong and what I can say on the subject is that I think now more than ever there's something to this high strangeness factor that um, these ghost lights, as um, I've heard them referred to, um, they're, they're there pretty often. And they really allude to the fact that what you're seeing with Sasquatch is not something that is so clear cut flesh and blood. And a conversation I had just last night with um, the author, Joshua Cutchin, he um, he has a couple of books called, you know, there's volume one and volume two that's uh, titled where the footprints end. And it kind of evaluates and examines this phenomena. And he talks a lot about how there is, you know, maybe fairy folk involved with some of this or that, uh, you know, he doesn't really say that they're, they are the same, but, you know, doesn't dispute that idea either. He's just kind of, putting forth some research for our, us to gauge and make our own opinions on. I wasn't fond of the Bigfoot portal thing uh, until recently, but it's wild, man. You start hearing enough stories from people and it's just not everybody's making this stuff up. Um, for I, the longest time, I thought, okay, so we have the paranormal aspect of Bigfoot. Well, that clearly exists because we don't have a body on a table people need to keep going and that was my opinion that well we can't provide that evidence of bigfoot so now we have to make stuff up and i was in that camp i was in that camp for a long time and it just kind of blows my mind the amount of evidence that suggests otherwise like I, I don't know if I fault. I'm really leaning towards this like kind of high strangeness ideology that surrounds it, you know, that there's a lot happening at the same time. And that if, you know, you see these lights, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're there because of Bigfoot, but they, they can be there as a happenstance. They're there for the same reason that you're about to encounter a Bigfoot that there's this veil, right? And there's this other dimension and it's just right here. And for whatever reason, those things have been able to cross. And a lot of times humans find themselves in these situations where they encounter this stuff and they're confused. They're, they don't know what to do. They're not sure what they're witnessing. They're caught off guard. But a lot of these stories also seem to indicate that what they're encountering is also caught off guard. 
So it's a really interesting concept to try to wrap your head around, but possibly humans are cryptids to these creatures and they're just as shocked to see us at the same time as we are shocked to encounter them. Well, that is interesting. Interesting theory. I I like the idea that Bigfoots are extraterrestrial beings or helpers of extraterrestrial beings or are made by extraterrestrial beings. Um, I like the idea more than Bigfoot being a long lost ape or bear or whatever that that are, that are hiding from us in the in the deep forests because i i i know these forests are very large and very deep and and i i mean they're fucking big <laughs> to put it this way i know that they could can hide everywhere but i don't think I mean, we know Bigfoots about Bigfoot for a very long time now, and so many people are going on Bigfoot hunt hunts and and looking for Bigfoot. I think we would have find one at at this point. We we would we would have one, or we we would have bones or or feces or something, some some proof that they they are a thing, you know. And I think there's something to this phenomena. But like I said, I don't think there are bears or apes or, uh, I don't know, some long lost uh, ancestors of, of the humans or, or whatnot. Yeah. I think there are extraterrestrial beings or interdimensional beings. Some people say that these, because some people see Bigfoot and they see a UFO at the same time. Maybe they are, the, the theory is there that Bigfoots are doing the dirty work. For the aliens, snatching, I don't know, animals or even humans. Missing 411, man. People say, hey, Bigfoot has something to do with it. I don't know. I like the idea more than, like I said, Bigfoot being a bear or so. Yeah, but then also what you what you can do is you can look at kind of the Native American approach of Sasquatch. And they, they did not... Um, they did not present Sasquatch as this flesh and blood gorilla like creature either. You know, they had um, more spiritual nuances to it as well. And so, I mean, extraterrestrial or some type of forest spirit, you know, whatever, whatever these things are, I, I'm, now in that camp like now more than ever i all of the evidence seems to suggest that that it is something it's something on that side of that fence you know you're right they're absolutely by now there should be a body there's a lot of forest in north america but it's we're pretty deforested you know there's that's almost a problem here with how much deforestation has occurred we're very very uh away from that so can they migrate that's possible but you know everything else migrates too and have i ever encountered a bear corpse in the woods i actually i've never seen one but that doesn't a lack of evidence isn't evidence so to speak 
uh, that doesn't mean that there's Bigfoot corpses out there too, just because I've never seen a bear corpse. So I'm very, I'm very much in that camp now. And I'm looking forward to learning more. We are hosting a Sasquatch excursion of our own. That's one of the things that we're trying to branch out for in 2024. There is an area in Pennsylvania, not far from me, that appears to be some kind of hotbed of activity. There's a lot of people who have experienced stuff there. Now, likewise, there's also, according to a park ranger, a lot of hoaxers. And this is part of the, uh, the field that I wasn't quite prepared to deal with. But my goal now is to do both the Sasquatch excursion as true and morally and ethically uh, true as possible in the sense that hey, I'm paying everybody who wants to come out, come out and we're going to try to, we're going to investigate and we're going to spend the night and we're going to try to experience something. But at the same time, while that's occurring, we are looking into the area as far as hoaxing goes and we're going to set cameras up. We're going to, you know, do the trail cam. We're going to basically try to catfish some hoaxers too to kind of once and for all see what's going on at least in this area you know as romantic as it is to find yourself in the woods and experience something i think the due diligence that um that you're that you're taking to prevent somebody from being hoaxed also has some romance to it as well. So we're kind of looking at it from both ends and I'm not uh, disregarding anything that anybody said. And I really look forward to being out there in the woods. Um, but at that same time, if we're able to catch some people who are um, making light of this thing that so many people care pretty deeply about that, that works too you know um so that's that's the other side of that of that coin with hoaxers is technology is you know at an all-time high for allowing you to be able to go out and do that you don't have to work as hard to fool people and that is unfortunately that's something that happens too and it's not even so much so a case of you know mistaken identity or you know, a person sees what they think they see, but, you know, there could be a guy out there in a suit and they're very brave out here because where we live, people will shoot you if you're a giant hairy creature in their backyard. <laughs> but you know, people have that desire as well. I know a hoaxer personally. He's a wonderful person and he did it by accident and he's since stopped and started to use the knowledge that he had to basically do what we're doing he's coaching me in my efforts to catch some of these hoaxers oh interesting catching the hoaxers you said you barely find a bear corpse in out in the wild you're right absolutely right um i give you that but a bear has a very big area that he's roaming around and it's only for himself so one bear has a very, very big area. 
But um, they say that Bigfoots are come in families sometimes. And they live in families. And that means they reproduce on a regular basis. And there must be a lot since they're around forever. <laughs> and the same. And I heard you, I think you had the discussion on uh, one of your other podcasts. I, th I think it might be the se second episode. You've talked about Nessie and, and some other cryptids. And I think the discussion came up. And, and I also thought that if there's something like Nessie, there can't just be one. At least that's what I think. It, or it can be, yeah, but I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that there is such an animal as Nessie, such a, maybe a, a prehistoric dinosaur or, or animal around for a few hundred years. I mean, we have reports of Nessie from what not like 1600, 1700, something like that, or it might be even earlier. I'm not. I'm not sure, but. Um, Yeah, very early reports of uh, of Nessie, and I think there's there should be a lot. I mean, and I'm talking about immense uh, amount of of these animals. Yeah, yeah. Around. I mean, you're not wrong. Uh, some of the things that we've looked at, and again, I'm not out there in um, the lock doing you know boots on the ground research, but some of the things that we kind of discussed on that episode that I think are plausible are under underwater channels so that there is actually the ability to swim from one lake to the other, you know, through this underground channel of water. And those are things that we know exist. And we don't, I can't sit here and say that there's actually certainly one in Loch Ness. I'm not a, a scientist in, in that area of the world right now, but it adds at least some plausibility to the idea um, when we think of the lifespan of these supposed creatures, I look to goblin sharks or sea turtles. These are creatures that appear to live extremely long lifespans into the hundreds of years. So it's not uncommon for an aquatic creature to have a lifespan that, you know, far supersedes what we Uh, have in you know the 70 to 100 years that we're lucky enough to you know live on the earth so when you look at other creatures um, and allow yourself the ability to apply that to this idea of a Nessie I think some of those um, some of those things become easier to accept now likewise We were talking about Bigfoot, and right now Bigfoot in in the field, there's cloaking. That's something that a lot of people have have been bringing up. And then you're so now you have Bigfoot. You know, there's no evidence that you know this creature actually is a physical being. You know, you have like this this cryptid already. So now you know, and we're talking about we're going to add cloaking to it now. So you have this very hard to believe incredulous creature and now it's cloaking. So some people are, you know, they throw their hands up and they're done with it. But if you look at the animal kingdom, you know, we have chameleons cloak. We have um, octopus expert cloakers. So it is something that the organisms that are living and scientifically proven on this earth 
are capable of doing. So through that lens, I think when you apply it to cryptids, such as, you know, like a Nessie type figure, it should at least check some boxes to, I don't know, allow yourself to open up at least to the possibility, so to speak. Gotcha. You're right. And Bigfoot also could maybe live underground in tunnels or caves. I don't know, cave systems, um, hiding the entrances. I don't know. I'm open for the idea. And I'm also open for the idea with Nessie that she just told me about. It's very interesting. You're right. You should always uh, keep an open mind to all these things. But I think if there's such a thing as um, Bigfoot, and let's say they live in, in the woods or underground or wherever, in underground systems, tunnels, I don't know. I think they might be pretty intelligent. Different from Nessie. If Nessie is a living a dinosaur that survived somehow, probably has the brain of a walnut, you know? And <laughs> yeah. hiding for so... So long and, and and fooling us for so long for hundred for probably hundreds of years fooling us. I'm not sure about that, man. Right. Yeah. For me, the lake monster thing until recently was the hardest to digest. And um, just if just looking at Loch Ness, when so little evidence exists, but uh, over here in America, we have actually quite a bit. Pretty much every great lake has has their own. Uh, their version of that, which I just discovered when we were doing our show. But you know, earlier we talked about some of the high strangeness uh, that is occurring. And, you know, if, if Bigfoot or, you know, these ghost lights or even a dog man or whatever we're experiencing can then be interdimensional and somehow cross that veil, why couldn't we then also apply that theory to, to what these lake monsters are and they just they're there people see them but they're not living there so to speak and they don't have to be this creature that's lived for six thousand years uh, on earth undetected and you know they're they're there they're they're briefly they've crossed that veil and they and they've returned just like you know what we discussed with bigfoot earlier so i think it's important when you're when you're dealing with some of these paranormal things to apply uh, those I apply the ideologies to everyone it's got to be a blanket or an umbrella so to speak you know if I'm willing to sit here and accept that Bigfoot is an interdimensional being and then I should be willing to accept that the Loch Ness monster is also an interdimensional being you're right and With all the skepticism I have for some cryptids, not all, some cryptids, we always have to keep in mind that people allegedly saw them. There are many reports of people that said, I saw this fucking thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you know the surgeon photo? You know, the real famous photo of Nessie yeah. that's coming up out of the water. You know, it was deemed a hoax. And if you look at it, I, I agree that it's hoaxed. Mm -hmm. But The surgeon who took the photo and released it uh, never attached his name to it. It was it's called the surgeon's photo for a reason, because the, the man who did it kept his identity a secret. 
And we talked about deathbed confessions earlier. And the doctor who made the deathbed confession about that being a, a fake hoax photograph was not the person who did it. He claimed that his friend, and I can't remember his name off the top of my head, uh, but he made the claim that his friend, who was the surgeon, told him that, that, that it was a hoax. So ever since that occurred, I think I was late 80s, early 90s when this guy had died and made that claim. And everybody just wrote it off as, well, this is a hoax photograph now. To me, that I, I look at that, that photograph and just what I know about photography and perspective, and I, it's clearly, I think, hoaxed. But I think it also adds some an interesting dichotomy that a person who wasn't even involved in the hoax says it was a hoax. And then colloquially, everybody agrees, well, that was a hoax. And so I... <laughs> It's funny because I also agree that that, that that photograph was hoaxed, but I put those feelings aside so that I can apply that scientific method, so to speak. So I can look at all the evidence and what's stopping that guy from making some shit up when he's on his deathbed. And now just everybody goes along with it. So that being kind of like the, the, the big tent pole, so to speak, of early Nessie uh, evidence being written off, I think allowed a lot of people to then write everything else off, which I, I, isn't the way to go about it. And, you know, if it was an eel, if it never existed, if it's an interdimensional being, until, the, until there's evidence to say one way or the other, I, I have to remain open to the idea if I'm in the court of law, the, uh, the burden of proof isn't on the defendant. It's on, <laughs> it's, it's on the prosecution. So it, when I apply that to the paranormal, I feel like a skeptic should be just as burdened with proof as the claimy, so to speak. Yeah. I don't think that Nessie, if there's such a thing as Nessie, is an interdimensional being. I think, yeah, interdimensional beings, they they might have an agenda doing something, have a reason to cross dimensions and not just to swim in the fucking lake and <laughs> its head out, but, but it... I think it would have an agenda and do something. So, yeah, I don't know, but that's just my thoughts on it. I could get, I could get real crazy here, and we could talk about yeah the time. Okay, uh, so with time, you have a lot of theories behind what time actually is, and you get into like is time travel possible, and that sort of thing. You kind of look at time is happening at the same time. So the past, present, and future are all occurring on the same plane, right? So it, is it possible that here we are in this center plane being the present and then the past is down here, the future's here, and we're just, we're just colliding. And so what we're seeing actually, you know, what, we, what we're considering interdimensional beings could actually just be 
um, resonant from, you know, the past. Is Nessie maybe just a an actual dinosaur that for that brief moment in time was able to cross the plains of of time and you know by pure sheer accident there was you know some crazy barrier in between our planes of existence that just kind of disappeared for a second and when you look at it that way, then maybe Bigfoot actually is a gigantopithecus because perhaps these Bigfoot sightings are also the result of our times kind of colliding with each other. And, you know, you get into the UFO phenomena and, you know, if the past and the present are occurring at the same time, we can't forget that the future is also happening at the same time as well. So maybe these UFOs are the result of what we're actually seeing future us so to speak and I, I again i'm not an expert on on this by any means i'm terrible at math but i'm pretty sure it was einstein's e equals mc squared uh theory of relativity that suggested everything was occurring at the same time so you know based off of that theory of relativity i i'm that's also a possibility so to speak that we're actually just kind of witnessing little blips in time at the same time mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting a lot of people think UFOs or aliens, uh, reports of aliens, they're talking about time travelers, us from the future, stuff like that. I'm a, I'm, I don't know if I like the idea, but I find it very interesting. also find your idea very, very interesting. Um, but I do think that aliens that are here, that we see in the sky, I also, I also when I was 16, I saw a triangle-shaped UFO in the sky moving like crazy, man. It moved very 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 crazy and i do think they're from another planet i know i don't know i think they're very far ahead of us like millions of years maybe but i don't think they're from the future or so could be but i don't think so it's um, kind of the beautiful thing about what we do though is like you just get to ponder these things and you know, take in everybody's uh, ideas and theories and this it's a it's really amazing to be able to hear these things and then apply it to to your own beliefs and or um, figure out how to maybe discredit something you know it's it's super cool like I don't I don't know one way or the other about anything that we've talked about but it's it's sure fun to theorize about it yeah i want to tell you about a german cryptid and i think i think it's also um famous in uh, french in france um it's the tutsel worm have you heard of it um i'm not 100 there may have been an episode of expedition unknown about this is is this kind of like like what we see in the film Tremors, essentially, with like an underground... It's a little bit, yeah. Um, I will show you a picture, and we will uh, describe this creature for the audio-only audience. Um, let me share the screen right now. Um, yeah, you should... Uh, you should see it now, right? Oh, there uh, we go. Okay, yeah, that's completely different than what I was... That's a picture uh, of the Tatzelworm, um, a cryptid... Yeah, 
might have existed maybe maybe not i'm not sure this um this it's not a painting it's more or more a drawing is made by johann scheuchzer in 1723 and it shows a yeah a man that is afraid <laughs> very afraid of a creature standing in front of him that has the head of yeah a cat i would say a cat the head of a cat a long neck a very long neck and uh, claws like a eagle uh, elongated upper body and the legs i would say the legs of yeah it looks like chicken legs or something like that or bird legs and the tail of uh, yeah maybe a rat or so and um this is the tetzel worm they say they yeah live in yeah underground i think they live underground or or between uh, rocks and and stuff like that so, some reports say they were pretty small some say they were big and you could say it almost looks like a dragon it almost looks like a dragon there i have another picture it's a little bit smaller but Maybe I can. Okay, that looks far more. Yeah. The one on the left there looks far more cat-like. Yeah. It looks like a cat. Guys who only can listen, sorry about that, guys, but it's important to show this picture uh, to my guest. Um, yeah, it looks like the upper body of a cat and it has an elongated uh, uh, body, almost like a snake. And it attacks a pig, tries to kill a pig. And maybe eat it. I don't know. The on the picture on the other side, uh, the creature has uh, the head of a snake and the tongue of a snake, also a long neck, and again these uh, chicken-like or or bird-like uh, arms and claws, and also the body of yeah maybe like something like a snake or a. All in all, yeah. it looks a little bit uh, dragon-like. You could also say maybe it was some kind of a dragon. Some people say they had. Uh, I had uh, venom, venomous uh, fangs. Some people, yeah, like I said, say they're pretty big. Some people said they're small, attack uh, people that wander around and sometimes kill them, eat them, or, yeah, take them with them. Yeah, let me stop the, stop the screen share here. Interesting. It's the, the yeah. muscle worm. Interesting cryptid. I've never heard of it, and I'm actually I'm going to add that to my list of things to look up for today. Um, I um, just heard about some dogman activity that's literally happening in the county that I live in, and it's the first I've heard about it. So I'm creating this, uh, I don't know, it's a little journal of things that I want to um, take a look at uh, for maybe some upcoming shows. I am... Um, I, I don't, I don't want to say I'm obligated, but I, I was, I joined a network and they like live shows. So in, in addition to the two shows that I do weekly, I'm adding a monthly live episode. This, this month we did a, uh, a Mothman episode on the anniversary of the Silver Bridge collapse. And some people might find that morbid, but for whatever reason, I, I like to find anniversaries or dates special dates to like coincide with what what we do uh so on december 15th we did that and i just by happenstance was able to get you know not just an expert but you know an experiencer from that time period 
on the show. So some of the things that I'm learning about, especially this, may end up actually being episodes that we do on our live broadcast. And that's a very interesting looking creature. And I'm actually kind of shocked that I've never heard of it because some of the more, I mean, not to say that that one is outlandish, but some of the more outlandish things are kind of where I fell on. That was my wheelhouse for a really long time was like the super weird stuff. Yeah, I will provide you with a few informations about the Tatsla worm so you can do your research. But um, um, Andrew, unfortunately, we're running out of time. It was a very interesting talk that, I, that we had together and I hope we can uh, do this again. I would love to invite you back on our show, maybe then together with my colleague Dustin, who couldn't be with us here today. Um, thank you again. And um, guys, check out Sasquatchers, the Sasquatchers podcast. I will add the links uh, to the podcast subscription here. And you're on Spotify, you're on Apple Podcast. I think you're on iHeart. Uh, I think I said it in the intro. And you're, uh, what was your Facebook group called again? Our Facebook group is called Sasquatchers Paranormal Podcast. And that was something that I, I actually added the Paranormal Podcast to the title of the show after because for whatever reason some people had gotten a little confused as to what sasquatchers was and uh, yeah but yeah like you said we're on like all of those platforms we have a youtube channel that i'm trying to grow specifically because not just because we do our vodcasts but because we have a lot of stuff up our sleeves for the next several months uh, we have I can't even really reveal a whole lot of information about it, but we have a cryptid documentary that we're filming in January. I'm driving to Ohio uh, January 5th to go out in the cold wilderness and do some investigating. And we will have a full documentary up on our YouTube channel um, based on that investigation. Um, so lots of content that we're trying to get out there. In the meantime, if you prefer to watch your your podcasts, we 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 put everything up on YouTube as well. Okay, there you have it, guys. Big things to come. So go to Andrew's YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button, guys, and do the same here if you will. So Andrew, please stay with me for two more minutes, okay? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>